ago, the Catholic Church kind of hijacked the word saint and reserved it for only a select few. But our guest today says the word applies to all of us that are believers and is perhaps a better descriptor than the word Christian. Addison Bevere is the COO of Messenger International and co-founder of Sons and Daughters TV and, of course, author of the new book, Saints, Becoming More Than Christians. Welcome to the program. John, thank you so much for having me on. It's an honor to be here. Absolutely. It is. And it is, in fact, our honor. Now, now I got to ask, why is this an important issue to you and why should it be to the rest of us? Yeah. So when I do these interviews, people always ask me, like, so is Christian a bad term? Is it a bad identifier? Is that why, is that why we need to become more than Christians? And the answer is no. But if I'm honest, John, I haven't liked calling myself a Christian for probably more than 20 years. Mm. And it's not it's not that I'm ashamed of Jesus. I, I think he's the one person who got this whole humanity thing right. I want to follow in his footsteps. I want to learn his ways. I don't like being associated with the stigmas and the stereotypes that have been known um, to go alongside of or to be attached to the idea of being a cultural Christian. Mm. And there are a lot of people like me in our world who they love Jesus, they love the idea of following him, but they're not they're not proud to identify as a Christian because of all the baggage that comes along with that term. Okay, so um, you're basically saying that we kind of need to rebrand ourselves in culture. Is that kind of where we're going? <laughs> yeah, I mean, so here's, here's the thing. More and more people are referring to this world as a post-Christian world. Right. It's almost like they're saying, look, we tried this whole Christianity thing. It didn't work. So we need to reject it and we need to embrace something new. But the reality is, and this this is my opinion, John, I don't think we actually gave it a try. I think we created our own version of Christianity and we found because we found the real thing to be too hard. <laughs> so yeah. we said, hey, so this idea of following Jesus, of actually living a life that models what what he taught and what he revealed to us through the Gospels and through Scripture, uh, it's too hard. It's it's asking too much of us. This idea of laying down our life, it's too much. So we're going to create our own version, a cultural version of Christianity. And the reality is people are finding that this idea of the gospel, this idea of Christianity, it's too small for our big world. Now, please please understand, I did not say that the gospel, and I did not say that the Christian idea is too small for our big world. I said our perception, our, our idea, or our caricature of it is too small for the for our big world. And if you look at the first century, if you look at scripture, if you look at the early church, and you look at how they were identified, what's fascinating to me is the word saint, tagios in the Greek, is used over 60 times in the New Testament. Used over 60 times. But the word Christian is used only three times. Mm. It's used twice in Acts and once in First Peter. And so I asked myself, like, why? Why were they known as saints? Why, when they were turning the world upside down, when they were subverting cultural norms, when they were reconciling groups of people that, quote-unquote, didn't belong together, when they were breaking down the barriers between the secular and the sacred, when this gospel message was radically changing the world, why were they known as saints? And I think, that, I mean, I think that's a good question. <laughs> I think that's something that we should all ask. And if we look at the word saint, it's it's sad that it's been relegated to this idea of a post-mortem identifier. Like if you live a good life and if you're canonized by the powers that be, then maybe you'll be a saint. Like that's so sad because if you look at its original use and its intended design, it's an identifier that energizes and gives meaning to the present. It actually wasn't about the past. It's not about what has been. It's about what is and what will be. 
And that's because saints, if you look at the nuance of the definition, saints are people who practice and participate in the mystery of life. That's what it is to be a saint. And Jesus wow. had this radical, radical, paradoxical invitation to life. He said, hey, if you want to find life, you have to lose your life. If you want to find life, if you want to follow me into the good life, like our world is obsessed with the idea, the notion of the good life. He's like, hey, if you want to find the good life that you crave, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. And I think in so many ways we've, we've forgotten that that is the way to life. We've essentially taken secularism and we've superimposed it on our Christian idea, and we're trying to find life at the altars of sex, stuff, and status, just like the world. And Jesus wow. is saying, no, 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 no. I have this brilliant, beautiful, robust, missional life for you, but you're going to have to find it by letting go of this semblance of life, letting go of your idea of life, because I'm bringing you into something that's greater than anything you've ever known or seen. And saints are the ones who lean into that mystery. Saints are the ones who catch a vision of what that means for the world. And then they think, and they're like, you know what? So if this is who I am, if this is what it means to follow Jesus, if this is where God is leading our world, if you look at like verses like Isaiah 11, 9, Habakkuk 2, 14, where it talks about this idea of the knowledge of the glory of God covering the earth, like the waters covering the sea. Like it's, it's like, it's so expansive. It's so inclusive. It reaches out into the marginalized. It reaches into our, our everyday lives, the mundane. Like if we're really going to live like this, what does that mean for us on a personal level? And that's yeah. what I'm trying to do with the saints' message is make this deeply personal and profoundly human. Now, do you think this this problem with with the idea, the moniker of Christian, is mostly a Western culture issue, or do you think it's global? I think it's mainly Western, but I think this idea of Christian is starting to infect um, the the global church. Mm-hmm. And again, like when, when we talk about the church, it's really easy for us to stand on the sidelines and throw stones. Right, that's sure. not what I'm trying to do. The reality is the church has been imperfect since day one. Mm-hmm. And we also need to remember that the church is not a building. The church is each one of us individually and collectively. That is the church. That is the body of Christ. That is the expression of Jesus on the earth. So we can't stand on the sidelines and be like, this is broken. This institution is all jacked up. I'm just going to throw stones at it. No, prophetic disruption or prophetic change always comes from within. So we need to lean into the tension. We need to recapture the vision of what God's doing, what he wants to do through his church and, and be the, be the change, like be the people who make this personal and not just some abstract idea that really has no bearing on our everyday lives. But I, I work for an organization that serves the, the church on a global scale. We, we do work in 227 of the 241 countries and territories. So I have a pretty good idea of what's happening across the global landscape of the church. And it is this, this idea of, hey, I want to follow Jesus because of what he can do for me. Mm. It is something that infects expressions of Christendom across the world, but it is mainly and primarily a Western idea. Wow. Okay, so I have to ask, how did Dr. Seuss and Green Eggs and Ham come into play here? <laughs> Yeah, so my kids they love they love that story, and yeah. uh, and I I I read it probably I don't know fifty seventy a hundred times, and uh, it, what's fascinating about that book is Dr. Seuss he he made a bet with his editor that he could write a book with uh, I think it was less than fifty words and he won the bet, 
Anyway, but I've, I've read it, I've read it so many times. Very, very basic book. But one night after I'd finished reading the story, I was leaving my kid's room and I sensed God's spirit whisper and, and tell me that he's a lot like Sam I am. And I was like, what? Now, if you're not familiar with the story, the book basically consists of this guy named Sam I am trying to convince a grumpy old man to eat green eggs and ham. Like that's the whole book. It's very that's repetitive. It, right. And that's it. And and he takes them through all of these like different sceneries and scenarios. And he's like, hey, would you try it here? Would you try it there? And then at the end, the grumpy old man finally tries green eggs and ham just to get Sam off his back. And he ends up loving it. And then he tells Sam I am that he would eat green eggs and ham everywhere. He previously said he wouldn't eat green eggs and ham. That's that's the story. And so I was thinking about like, God, why why did you whisper this into my spirit? Like, what's the significance here? And my first response was to be like, oh, you know what? The world, the world, you're like Sam I am in this sense. Like you keep offering this gift of salvation to the world and the world rejects it again and again and again. And that's, John, that's the tendency is to make these ideas, these Christian ideas, these biblical ideas, to make them abstract, to make them corporate as opposed to allowing them to become personal. And mm-hmm. God is like, no, this isn't about the world. This is actually about you. He showed me, he's like, I've got this amazing gift of salvation that is more, it's more robust, it's more far-reaching than anything that you could understand. But you reject certain components of it. You reject elements of it that don't make sense, that, that seem outside your comfort zone. And he's like, I faithfully come back to you again and again and again. I change your scenarios. I use your circumstances. I use the brokenness of your world to show you my goodness, to show you the reach of my saving power. And it's sad to me that we, as followers of Jesus, we often have this idea that the good stuff is behind us. Like when we Mm -hmm. fell in love with Jesus, when we first committed our lives to him, like that was the good stuff. And then from that point forward, we're just trying to hold on, right? We're trying to hold on to that first love. But the reality is the gift of salvation is something that is complete upon its delivery, but it takes an entire lifetime to really discover what God has done for us, what he has given to us through the person and work of Jesus. And I love how James captures this in James 121. He says, receive with meekness, receive with humility, the implanted word, which has the power to save your soul or the power to save your vitality. And so we get to spend our lives kind of unpacking the gift of salvation. And as we do that, we see how far reaching it is. We see that it doesn't just belong to this like Sunday morning religious or sacred experience. It actually should invade every component of our lives. We start to see ourselves the way God sees us. And as we see ourselves the way God sees us, we start to see this world the way he sees it. And that's the big idea. Like Saints see this world the way God sees it. And, and if you look at Jesus' ministry in the Gospels, what was his favorite subject? What did he talk about more than anything else? The kingdom of God. That was his favorite subject. And when people think of the kingdom of God, they just think of heaven. But the reality is the kingdom of God is God's supreme rule. It's seeing this world through God's eyes. It's seeing it through his promises to make all things new. And it's partnering with his spirit to bring about those realities here and now. And that's what, and that's what Paul means in 2 Corinthians when he talks about how you are God's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through you. Like this life that we're invited into, it's so much bigger than just our personal salvation. And I'm concerned that a lot of people, because they've made this experience just about themselves, they're missing out on the purpose and the hope and the promise that God infuses us with as his children, as those who practice and participate in the mystery of the final day. And as we wake up 
to the reality of the good life. When we wake up to the fact that the good life isn't something you find, it's someone you become, we start to live the kind of lives that we crave. It says in Ecclesiastes 3.11 that eternity was written on our hearts. And saints are the ones who wake up to that eternity. Do we wake up to it now instead of waiting until the life to come? It's powerful words. It's it seems like it's way more uh, a whole lot bigger concept than the uh, pages of this book can contain. Now you you talk about losing smallness in God's largeness. Is that kind of what you're speaking of in that regard? Absolutely. And if you look if you look at human history, it seems like we always fall prey to this idea of reducing God to our own image. It's like God mm-hmm. made us in His image, and now we return the favor. And A.W. Tozer, he right? A.W. Tozer, he once wrote that a low view of God is the cause of a hundred lesser evils in our world. And if you study human history, it's like we unmake ourselves when we worship someone or something other than God and call that thing God. Wow. We unmake ourselves. That's where we start to fall apart. And if you look at the Book of Romans which is Paul's most complete discourse on the gospel message, he starts in Romans 1 with this exact point. He starts with this idea like we went insane as humanity. We went insane when we refused to worship a God that was bigger than what we could see and feel in that moment. And that's, mm-hmm. that's the beautiful thing about Jesus. I, I like to say that Jesus became a man, so like God became a man in Jesus because we were incapable of worshiping anything else. He had to cross that oh, wow. divide between his divinity and our humanity by becoming the bridge. <laughs> he actually became the bridge. He came to us, and he's like, hey, so follow me, and I'm going to lead you into something that's bigger than you can reach, than you can touch right now, but you're only going to find it by following me, the author, the finisher, the perfecter of your faith. And that's why Jesus would repeatedly say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. See, Jesus modeled in, in fullness what it means to be human, what it means to be made in his image, made in God's image, what it means to to discover what it is to be the children of God. Like Jesus modeled that for us. And he didn't just give us a good example. He also sent us his spirit to teach us the intricacies of the art. And, And yet we, again, like we make this life of being a Christian, we make it so small. And it's small because our idea of God is small. So anytime your idea of God is small, your life becomes small. That's why I like to say that the, that the reflection of the power of God or the evidence of God in your life is the evidence of the God over your life. So if you make God small, if you essentially worship a God who's the personification of what you like best about yourself, your life is going to be small and your world is going to see a quote-unquote small gospel revealed through your life. And so I spent two chapters in this book going after our small view of God and say, like, look, we have to wake up again to the wonder of who God is. We have to stand in awe of his holiness, of his majesty, of his goodness, because when we do that, everything about our lives change. That's why in Proverbs and in the Psalms, we see this idea that the fear of God, which simply means you're afraid to be away from God. It doesn't mean you're scared to be close to him. God's greatest desire is intimacy. So the fear of God is actually another channel of intimacy, it has nothing to do with being afraid of God, but the fear of God, being in awe of who he is, being in closeness with him is the beginning of wisdom, or it's the blueprint, it's the blueprint for higher living. That's what wisdom is. It's a blueprint for higher living. And we only find that in the presence and in the awe and the wonder of who God is. Wow, powerful stuff, Addison. 
Um, you also mentioned there's a chapter about God's love language. I think most of our listeners are probably familiar with the idea of love language. I think mostly popularized by Gary Chapman. Uh, you know, the, the five different ways that we give and receive love to one another. What, what are you talking about in regard to God's love language? Yeah, this, this was an interesting one for me. So there, there was a time I was outside. I was watching um, one of my kids. I have four of them try to ride a tricycle. And when the pedals would go down, he would struggle because his little legs couldn't reach the pedals at the bottom. And I remember watching him and just feeling this sense of love and pride in my son. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit whispered to me, he said, I am love. Now, I've read 1 John 4 many times over the course of my life. Like, I know God is love. Mm -hmm. But I could sense like God was trying to show me something different. So I quieted myself, and I heard, I am love, and faith is my love language. And I was like, what? (laughs) And honestly, my response is, faith is not one of Gary Chapman's five love languages. (laughs) Yeah, what do we do with this? (laughs) That was was my audible response. And I I meditated on it, and I thought about it. And then my mind went to Hebrews 11, where it says, Hebrews 11, 6, where it says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. And I was like, so love languages, it's kind of like how we show you you know, like that we love you, and that creates pleasure. So maybe that's what it is. And God told me, like, no, you're making this about you and what you do. He's like, I'm actually trying to show you how I love you. And he showed me that faith isn't how you reveal your love for me. Faith is actually how I reveal my love for you. And then he took me back to Hebrews 11.1, 1, where it talks about this conviction, this and things hoped for, and evidence of things that have yet to be seen. And I started meditating on that, and it hit me. Like, God sees us not just as we are. He also sees us how we could be how we should be, how we would be, and he speaks to us from a position of faith. Like that's what we see in passages like Ephesians 2, where it talks about how we're seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. Mm-hmm. Like That's a statement of faith. And I, and I started going through uh, mainly Paul's epistles, and I was like, oh my goodness, like this concept is everywhere. And if you think about what even happened with the cross, like the cross was the ultimate act of faith. Like before mm-hmm. you and I, ever existed before we ever walked this earth that was the sword that god stuck into this world and reclaimed it i mean that's like when you really think about it, it's like wow what what amazing evidence of his faith and of his goodness and when then when you study the life of jesus you start to see this idea of faith come out all over the place and then you go to first corinthians 13 and of course the famous passage about faith hope and love enduring forever and then it starts to hit you wait a second Faith, hope, and love are the three virtues or the three qualities that reveal eternity in this temporal time. They're the ones that merge the worlds of what is and what will be. When we live lives of faith, hope, and love, we're actually revealing the nature and the character of God in this present time. And I was like, okay, I'm starting to see it. <laughs> I get it. This is amazing. And when you, when you actually see God like that, because our perception of God is everything, right? And so many people, they have this perception of God who's like as a – as someone who's hanging out in the clouds who's just looking for a reason to throw a lightning bolt at them. But when we actually understand who God is, the Father's heart, the majesty of God, the otherness of God, like when we actually start to see that and then we realize that he has faith in us, that he, that he became a man to save us, that he became intimate with our suffering and our pain, like when you start to see these things, you're like, wow, you call me a son, you call me a daughter. You, you say that I'm created for wonder, that I was formed intimately in my mother's womb, Psalm 139. When you start to get that, it's like, okay, 
wow, thank you, God. And you start to feel the Father's love in new ways. Wow, Addison, I, I wish we could talk like I'm, I'm going to drive to Colorado Springs and have coffee because this is amazing. Um, but the best I can do right now is absorb this book. Saints Becoming More Than Christians. So rich. Um, where can folks connect with you and then also uh, obviously pick up a copy of the book? Yeah, well, they can they can get a copy of the book wherever books are sold. And um, okay. I, I'm at AddisonBevere.com. I really don't do social media much, but the one social yeah. platform that I'm on is Instagram. But John, okay. it's an honor, honor being being on here with you. Um, thank you for the kind words. And for me, this is so much more than a book. This is a yeah. new way of viewing what it is to be human, what it is to be the people of God, what that means for our world. And uh, I really, really appreciate you leaning into the message. It means a ton. Absolutely. Well, and I also want to say for what it's worth, it's a beautiful looking book. I mean, it's just really, really neat to um, very eye catching. So for what that's worth, but content inside is what's really valuable. But um, a great, a great work. Saints Becoming More Than Christians available just about anywhere. Addison Bevere, we are so grateful for your time today and thank you for being with us on The Culture Connection. Thanks, John. I loved it. All right. Until next time, this is John Graham bringing you The Culture Connection. 